Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 122 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Nasos Papadopoulos. Nasos is the founder of MetaLearn, a web destination for learning about learning. He's also a university lecturer and an online course author, and as you might expect, an avid learner himself. Before we get to the interview with Nasos, though, we want to acknowledge our sponsor for the first quarter of 2018. We're happy to have Blue Sky eLearn sponsoring this quarter. Blue Sky is the maker of the PATH Learning Management System, an award-winning cloud-based learning solution that empowers your organization to maximize its message. Blue Sky also provides a range of virtual event and instructional services to help you maximize your content and create deeper engagement with your audience. To find out more about Blue Sky and everything it offers, visit blueskyelearn.com. For our resource for this episode, we're going to link to the MetaLearn YouTube channel, where Nasos Papadopoulos has published dozens of brief videos covering topics ranging from how to learn from famous figures like Elon Musk, Marie Curie, and Charles Darwin, to how to leverage important learning techniques like space practice, reflection, and elaboration. This is a great resource to help you boost your own learning and also a great resource to share with the learners you serve. You can find the link for the MetaLearn videos by visiting the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 122. Now, Jeff, you were the one who got to talk with Nasos. Would you give us a brief taste of what you guys talked about? Definitely. I'll, I'll mention that uh, I first connected with uh, Nasos probably about a year ago or so because he reached out to me to interview me for his MetaLearn podcast. And uh, we'll link to that interview and uh, also really highly recommend the podcast. That's a big part of what he's up to at MetaLearn. And uh, it, was a, it was a true pleasure talking with him then. And we've stayed in touch since and have talked a number of times. And, uh, you know, and it just seemed like a natural to at some point have him come on leading learning since he is so incredibly focused on learning. And, you know, in our conversation for this episode, we covered everything from what meta-learning is um, and how he became so focused on it as a topic. Uh, We talk about podcasting. We talk about uh, his experience with uh, authoring an online course. And uh, as you might expect, Nasos also offered one of the, uh, the, the great answers we've had so far to our usual question about a learning experience that's had significant impact on him since leaving his formal schooling behind. So, you know, I knew it was going to be an interesting conversation, and uh, it, it, it certainly uh, it turned out that way. Well, I look forward to hearing the conversation. So let's roll the interview with Nasos Papadopoulos.
Hello out there. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today I am joined by Nasos Papadopoulos. Nasos is the founder of MetaLearn, which I would describe as a destination on the web for learning about learning. He's a university lecturer, an avid learner himself, and I've heard rumors that he plays a mean game of tennis. Nasos, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm so glad to have you here because we've, uh, I guess, gotten to know each other a little bit over the course of the last year or so, and uh, I've followed what you're doing on the web with MetaLearn, but um, but I think just so so listeners are really familiar with what, what you're up to, because some of them may not be, we should probably tackle this whole topic of uh, meta-learning right up front. Uh, so you, I mean, at this point, you have a whole business dedicated to it, and you're obviously very passionate about this topic of meta-learning, but... Can you say just a bit more about what you mean by meta-learning and then why you think it's something that deserves the kind of focus that that you're giving it? Sure. So I would define meta-learning as uh, the process of learning how to learn. So the the analogy that I often kind of use when I talk about meta-learning is um, sort of zooming in and zooming out. So you want to be able to zoom out enough to be aware of what you're actually doing when you're picking up a new skill, whether that is playing an instrument, learning a language, picking up a sport, learning a professional skill, whatever it might be. Um, You'll sort of probably get to know over the course of this interview that I'm a a very proud Greek, so I'll be throwing my etymologies Mm. around here, there, and everywhere. The, the term meta, the prefix, actually comes from the ancient Greek meta, which means to go above or beyond. And so that's exactly what you're doing when you are meta-learning. You're zooming out, you're taking a step back, you're becoming more aware of your own learning, and as a result, you're better able to improve it and make faster progress in whatever you're doing. And so it's funny you brought up the uh, the, the Greek background because that's something I, I wanted to ask about, and maybe it's connected to why you're so interested in this. I mean, obviously, Greece, you know, the the the, the founding place of philosophy, uh, love of knowledge, um, you know, and I think uh, philosophy these days has become something kind of abstract, but uh, back in the beginning, it was all about learning. I mean, does your does your Greek background, did, did that influence you, or what else influenced you to, to become so passionate about this? Yeah, I mean, the Greek background is definitely a big thing. Um, it's something that's actually developed more in the last few years since I've started MetaLearn because I've become a lot more aware of like what actually I'm super interested in and what matters to me. And we'll go into the whole piece about meaning and how important that is for learning at some point later if you want to. But the thing that actually got me interested in meta-learning in the first place was when I graduated from university, um, I kind of did a bit of a U-turn. So I've been planning to go into finance. I did a degree in economics and management, did a bunch of internships in investment banks, um, and eventually decided that it wasn't for me. So I kind of had to, as I say, do a bit of a U-turn and massively reevaluate what I was doing uh, with my life, what I wanted to do for my career. Um, so I quickly realized that, hey, I'm going to need to learn a bunch of new skills. Um, I don't think they actually ever taught us how to learn that efficiently at school. So let me look mm. into that. I was also tutoring um, part time. Um, which was a fantastic option for me because it also allowed me to kind of stay flexible and experiment with other things. Um, and obviously, I also wanted to help my students learn effectively. So that really sparked the interest in diving into research on neuroscience, cognitive science, reading as much as I could get my hands on um, about the learning process. And of course, just kind of trying to observe as much as I could in my own practical learning and teaching experience. Um, but 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 to return to the piece on Greece, I mean, yeah, it, it's been 
uh, a massive inspiration and it does inform a lot of my uh, my thinking and reading. And I'm always looking back whenever I come across a new concept, I go back and say, oh, I wonder what Plato or Aristotle said about this. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always close to my heart, that's for sure. Well, you've obviously, you've got the Greek last name, but uh, I'm sure listeners will notice right away that you've got a British accent to go with that. Did you, did you come up in the, in the, in the British school system and, and wherever you came up, uh, how, well, how well prepared were you to, to be a better learner, basically? Mm, so yeah, I did. Um, I grew up in London, uh, here in the UK, um, and went through um, a very good um, secondary school, um, what you guys over in the US would call high school. Um, and then I um, applied to Oxford to study economics and management, um, managed to get in after a pretty rigorous um, sort of applications process, um, and then uh, did my three-year degree. Now, in terms of the skills that I think my education gave me, um, looking back at it, it certainly gave me an ability to communicate effectively. Um, so to write clearly, to speak clearly, to make logical arguments, which I think are extremely important um, and uh, very often undervalued by people who are too focused on just pure instrumental skills. Um, what I think it didn't give me um, was sort of a perspective of where the world was going. Um, and, uh, and also specifically around learning, there wasn't really any information. I was never taught how to learn. And I think all of my peers that I went to school with would probably say the same thing. Um, there was, you know, had I known to put it in, uh, in simple terms, had I known then what I know now, I think I would have been a much, much more effective student. And while I did do well, I certainly had to put in a lot of hours and sometimes it was a pretty long, hard slog, especially in my final year. Um, when I had a lot of exams. Um, so yeah, um, good and bad, definitely a lot of important general skills. Um, but certainly not enough around learning in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I always think of that, uh, says Rod Stewart in the faces, uh, that, that cut it originally. Uh, I wish I knew now or wish I knew then what I know now, or what has it go? I wish I knew now, uh, when I was younger, uh, basically, mm. uh, good song, but I always, I always think of that cause, uh, same feeling, uh, that, you know, you, you get older and you realize how much you didn't know earlier and, uh, and that you didn't necessarily know how to know, um, know how, <laughs> sure. how, you know, how to, how to learn things. Now I'm wondering, um, I mean, you've got, uh, you, you had this issue and it sent you down this path of, learning to become uh, a meta learner, learning how to learn. You've now got uh, thousands of people um, presumably following you on, on your blog, on your podcast. Uh, what's, what's motivating those people? I mean, what do you hear from your subscribers, your listeners about what they're looking for and, and why they're attracted to meta learn? Mm, so I think like the work that I'm doing is certainly picking up on uh, a problem uh, that a lot of people have at the moment. Um, and that's a good thing because obviously I set out trying to solve my own problem. Um, and obviously it happens to be a problem that a lot of people on the hat, a lot of other people have. Um, I think uh, that problem is the kind of the difficulty around taking a sort of structured approach to your learning after you leave um, school, after you leave the educational system. Um, because it's very, very challenging, especially once you once you get into the world of work. 
um, where, you know, you have responsibilities, you have commitments. Um, and, uh, also we're living in a world full of noise where it's kind of difficult to identify what is good and what is important and what isn't. Um, so, so Metalearn really is trying to, to solve these problems to say to people, first of all, yes, you can continue to learn throughout your life. Um, if you go about it in, in the right way, um, here are some sort of tools and techniques that you can kind of add to your toolkit to make that process more effective in the limited time that you have. Um, and then here are also some other things that uh, are super important to make you like an effective person in the 21st century, which are things like critical thinking and independent thinking, being exposed to sort of multiple perspectives um, and sort of, yeah, asking those big and important questions, not just about where the world is going, but about what's important to you. And do you think that the the people who seek you out and, and engage with those kinds of questions... Um, see the right way to put this. Uh, are, I mean, are they, are they special or, or are they average people? And I'm asking this from the perspective of, I guess, you know, whether you tend to be uh, cynical or, or optimistic about the, you know, the, the desire, the, the willingness, the ability of people to em- embrace this idea of being better learners, realizing, you know, that, that it is a, a skill they need to have these days. I mean, mm. do you think most people get that or the people who are tuning into you, you know, maybe outside the average a a little bit? Mm, Well, I think it's a great question because it's a question that I ask myself a lot and I have asked myself a lot over the course of like um, building MetaLearn out and the stuff that I've done. I think people are starting to recognize that it is extremely important just because if you look at the trends in our society more broadly, things are changing so fast. Um, that we really do need to be picking up new things uh, every day, every week, every month. And I don't think that's an exaggeration anymore. Um, and so I think people are realizing, hey, this is something I actually really do need to think about because the job that I'm doing right now may not exist in 15, 20 years time. Um, the base of knowledge that I'm able to sort of make a living off now, um, that might not be a valuable resource um, in that same kind of time frame. And so I think people are starting to recognize the need. Now, of course, there is always a degree of cynicism about how meta do you get about stuff? You know, mm-hmm. like if you keep abstracting and abstracting and abstracting, you're getting so far away from the practical experience of learning that it can become meaningless. And so what I always try and do with my work is that I try and ground it in, in concrete examples in my own teaching and learning experience so that it's not just intellectualizing about the learning process. Because, of course, the goal behind all of this is to get people to take real action in their lives that is going to allow them to develop to develop the skills that they need to thrive. Um, yeah, and and you you alluded to this that uh, people may be dealing with situations where, for example, the nature of their work changes radically. Maybe their job disappears. Um, I'm interested how how tuned in are you to developments in areas like, for example, the big one, artificial intelligence uh, right now, which it seems to me is really going to change the learning landscape significantly, because uh, it may just it may mean that we don't even need to learn certain things anymore, um, <laughs> and that we need to learn completely new things. Uh, so I, I, I just love your perspective on what you see happening in an area like artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, robotics, you know, th- those things that are potentially opportunities, but potentially also threatening to, to human beings and, and, and obviously are going to have an in, uh, impact uh, in one way or another on learning. Sure. So I would say a couple of things. First of all, um, 
in terms of uh, specific trends and where I see those technologies going, I don't think I know enough about them to make uh, sort of a qualified prediction. But what I will say is is this. Um, I've, I've identified that those are areas that are fundamentally going to change the world. And so I am being a lot more proactive about sort of about learning about them. So uh, if you go and look at my kind of um, podcast guests over the last few months, you'll see that there are a lot more technologists and people who are involved in this space. I just interviewed um, Tim Urban from Wait But Why, who's been having a lot of conversations about artificial intelligence with Elon Musk and the work he's been doing at, at Neuralink. Um, I just think it's something, you know, without wanting to be too prescriptive, and I'm always hesitant to be, um, I really think those technologies that you just mentioned are things that everybody should be getting at least a working knowledge of, um, because they could potentially <laughs> completely disrupt your career and life in ways that you can't even imagine. So it makes sense to understand um, sort of that landscape. The, the second piece I'll just add to that is how important I think it is that we think um, critically about these technologies. Because mm. I think one thing that I'm seeing again and again and again in the conversation in this space is sort of any attempt to kind of engage in critical thinking or questioning about where these technologies are actually going is kind of met with, uh, you know, comments about being branded as a techno-skeptic or a Luddite, etc. Um, and while I think it's really important that we don't um, put a break on technological progress because it can solve, you know, some really serious problems for us, I think bringing more of, of sort of a, a critical conversation and debate around technologies is super important because we can see um, a, a lot of sort of companies recently, without wanting to name names, have abused the power that sort of accelerated returns from technology has given them. Um, so I think bringing those questions, bringing that debate into um, into the space around technology is super important. Definitely, definitely. And as you're saying, I think every everybody really needs to have a, a fundamental awareness of uh, a basic awareness of what's going on in these areas at this point and, and an understanding of what the implica implications could be. Nobody really knows at this point, uh, but but certainly things are, are pointing in certain directions that uh, mm. we want to be aware of. Now, you just referenced, uh, you know, your interviews, uh, a specific guest. And, and one of the things I, I wanted to ask you about, and, and I'd really like to, to dig in a little bit to the podcast um, and, and kind of how, how things work there. And I, a key question would be, how do you decide that somebody is a, a good candidate to come on the, the MetaLearn podcast? What are the characteristics of, of, of a great guest for you that's really going to you know, help you dig into this topic and, and address your, your listeners' needs? Mm, great question. And also is a uh, one that I ask myself a lot and the conditions have changed over time. Um, what I look for now in a guest, um, I could probably boil down to sort of three main things. So one of them is just purely based off of personal interest. Um, so if I'm reading a book about a subject that interests me, very often I might after I filter for these other two conditions that I'm about to mention, reach out to the author. Um, so it has to be something that I'm interested in currently or something that sparked my curiosity. Um, because I feel that always brings out the best in a guest is when the interview is genuinely interested in what they have to say and they actually want to find out. And it's not just an interview for the purpose of doing an interview. Mm. So that's one. Am I interested in the person's work right now? Um, two would be, are they a good communicator? Um, and uh, the reason I say this is because I have had interviews in the past where the person is an exceptional expert in their subject and they really do know an awful lot. 
Um, but obviously a big part of what I'm doing is, is for listeners at Metalearn and I want them to be able to get the best possible experience. And sometimes experts aren't always the best or certain kinds of experts are not always the best communicators. And so right. what, I'll, what I'll do is I'll go and sort of see, have they done any talks on YouTube? Have they done any other podcasts? Um, do I think they would come across well and be able to communicate their knowledge effectively? That's the key. It's not the question of do they have it or not. It's can they communicate it effectively to the listeners that are tuning in to, to learn more about what they do. Um, and then I guess the final piece would just be, are they saying something original? Are they saying something a little bit different? Um, because, you know, in a lot of spaces, people tend to say the same things over and over and over again or to say the same things in the same way. Um, and so what I'm really looking for in a guest is, are they saying something original or are they saying something that we all know to be a truth um, and looking at it from a different perspective, mm. um, which generates that interest and that curiosity from me as well? So I'd say those things are the, are the filter conditions. And I won't put you on the spot to, you know, name a best uh, interview, but I, I would be interested, you know, are there one or two that stick out in your mind at this point? And you, uh, you've, I'm not sure how many you've done, maybe you can tell us that too, but uh, mm. that stick out in your mind is um, just very memorable. And, and then why, you know, why were they so memorable? Sure. I mean, there's loads, but there are a couple that do stick out. So I yesterday published episode 106. Um, so I've done over a hundred episodes now, admittedly about, I would say between 35 and 40 of those are shorter episodes where I'm either doing like a solo recording about a subject, um, or I'm having somebody, um, jump in and do a conversation with me, um, about a particular topic, um, for say 20 minutes or so. So there's about, you know, give or take 70 interviews, 70 people that I've interviewed, the ones that stick out, um, the ones that came to mind right now when you asked that question were, uh, the first one was with Seth Godin. Um, and Seth, uh, was just a fantastic guest in so many ways, but the kind of things that I really took away from that were how human his approach to business is. Mm. Um, we were talking a little bit about sales towards the end of that conversation. Um, and it was very top of mind for me at the time, cause I was starting to sell my first course, make me a meta learner. Um, and, you know, you become very conscious when you go into that sales process of like wanting to, um, wanting to do it with integrity and wanting to do it the right way. Um, and just the conversation we had around that was super, super useful, um, and, and, and gave a lot of clarity. And the, the one particular thing to give you kind of a solid takeaway that I took from that, um, was when Seth basically said, you know, the reason that most people aren't good salesmen is because they're selfish. Like they won't recommend you to a competitor's product when it's a better solution because ultimately sales is about serving people. Um, so that was a very, very powerful conversation. I, and I really took a lot from that. Uh, and Seth was just a, a very, very, um, uh, a phenomenal guest to interview. The other one was a great conversation with Barry Schwartz. Um, Barry Schwartz, uh, has been a, pro a professor of psychology, um, at Swarthmore recently retired, but taught at Swarthmore, um, for 40 years, I believe. Um, and has written um, a couple of excellent books, um, one on the paradox of choice and one on practical wisdom. Um, and so the conversation we had was sort of a little bit more of a philosophical one, although, of course, there were kind of um, implications for learning, etc. Um, and again, if I had to say one particular takeaway from that conversation, um, it would be again sort of towards the end of the conversation when we started talking about this concept of good enough. Um, and I think in our uh, societies, certainly in Anglo-Saxon societies in, in, in the West, um, 
we kind of have this obsession with thinking that everything could always be better. Um, and especially in a world where the media is constantly showing us examples of success stories, um, it can sometimes be very hard to be satisfied with what you've got. Um, and so you're always thinking about the next best career opportunity, the next best learning project, the next best whatever. Um, and the kind of practical wisdom of sometimes just saying, you know what, I think I've got it pretty good, um, really kind of came home in that episode. And I, I think he communicated it brilliantly. So yeah, those would be two episodes that stuck out and a couple of learnings from them. Those are great. I've, I've heard um, uh, Brene Brown recently, I've been listening to her talk about that uh, kind of enough, good enough uh concept as well in, in, in very interesting ways. But uh, those are two guests, Barry Schwartz and, and Seth Godin. I would uh, love to have on Leading Learning at, at some point. So kudos for getting the quality uh, of guests that, that you do get on, on MetaLearn. I know that takes some, some footwork to make happen just based on our own experience. Um, and and I'd, I'd love to ask just one other question about the, the, the podcast. And this one is partly selfish just because uh, obviously I do this. Uh, I podcast and I'm always interested in knowing how other people go about it. But I know we also have listeners who uh, either have podcasts or are interested in launching them and growing them. And so, you know, as you just mentioned, you're past 100 episodes now. You're, you're well established. You've got a good following at this point. Um, I mean, what are some of the the, the key pieces of advice you would give to somebody at this point who, who wanted to launch and grow a podcast? Sure. So as a quick caveat before I, I kind of start the answer, this advice um, is tailored towards people who want to launch one. So mm -hmm. it may not apply to you if you're 20 episodes, 50 episodes, 100 episodes in like me. Um, so I would say to people thinking about launching a podcast, um, just start. I mean, first of all, I mean, it is the biggest cliche, but it exists for a reason, which is that you will learn so much once you actually start. And there are only so many how-to guides and, you know, seven steps to starting a podcast that you can possibly read before you just have to take the plunge, record that first episode, um, and kind of see where it goes. Um, so just start. And for me, what that actually means on a concrete practical level is book your first interview in if you're doing an interview podcast, um, or if you're doing a solo podcast, you know, block out some time in your calendar when you're going to do it. So reach out to someone that you think you can get or reach out to a bunch of people as you were alluding to before, it's can be quite a lot of legwork sometimes. So you sometimes need to ask more than once and ask a lot of people, um, and book that interview in, into the calendar. Um, I recommend doing it over Skype to start off with just because again, it is uh, low resource. It's easy to do. All you need is um, a set of uh, earbuds or headphones from your phone. Um, and if you want, you can buy uh, a simple USB mic to get you started off. We're both using the Audio-Technica ATR2100, which is excellent. And I think in the range of like $60, $70, mm -hmm. um, but produces awesome audio quality. So one, to summarize that whole piece, just get started. Um, two, I would also think uh, which kind of in some ways contradicts this first kind of point, but I would also think a little bit about kind of what's the theme and who is it for? Like you've got to ask those questions because if you're just producing for yourself and it's purely a learning project, um, then you don't need to worry so much about, is there going to be an audience for it? Um, but if this is something that you're doing in order to, uh, grow your business or to communicate with your customers, um, then you really do need to be clear about who it's for and what problems it's going to solve for them. So I think asking those questions before you start diving into the interviews, um, is important to kind of have front of mind. Um, 
yeah, I would say those would be the, the two main pieces of advice because I could give so many more pieces of advice. But I think if you are starting, that's that's what you need to think about. Think about how you can get started as fast as possible. And who is it for? What problems are you solving? I would echo that advice. And as you were talking, it occurred to me, we, uh, we should do another episode at some point in the future, just, just to talk about this topic. Uh, and we can, you know, both kind of share our perspectives, uh, on this, having both, you know, done more than a hundred episodes of a podcast at this point, and, and maybe get into the, the growth side of it as well. That'd be interesting territory. But I know, um, you know, one other topic I want to make sure we cover before we close, uh, in addition to podcasting is that you have, uh, within the last year also, uh, created and launched an online course. Uh, you, you mentioned it earlier, make me a meta learner. And uh, I could ask a ton of questions about that. And I know listeners would have a lot of questions about creating and launching an online course because it's something they do, but I'll start with, um, kind of going back to your topic area, this whole meta learner uh, concept, which is what you're mm. trying to teach. And um, we actually, we talked about this a little bit recently in, in one of the openings to our online conference about there's a, a fellow who started a creative writing program uh, way back in North Carolina. It's one of the first ones. Fred Chapel was his name. And uh, people kept asking him, you know, can you teach creative writing? Is that something that can really be taught? And he got a little tired of the question and he finally came up with his standard answer, which was, you know, it can't be taught but it can be learned. And, mm. I, and, I, and I sort of, I'm, I'm wondering if the same thing is kind of true about meta learning. I mean, when you, when you think about teaching people to be meta learners, I mean, how do you think about teaching that uh, and how do people actually learn that? So I guess I'm sort of at the conceptual level around your, your course and mm. how you approached it. Sure. I, I really think that sort of, um, that maxim of uh, it can't be taught, but it can be learned applies to this because ultimately meta learning is about you developing an awareness of how you learn. So I couldn't possibly teach you or anyone else how you learn, but I can give you a set of tools and techniques, uh, and a kind of broader framework and structure that will allow you to explore that in a way that means that you actually do it as opposed to saying, oh, I'll do that later or, you know, one day or someday or maybe. Mm. Um, so the way I kind of see Make Me a Meta Learner is, um, is twofold. One, it walks you through the process of learning a new skill. So when you start off in section one, which is the meta piece, you choose the skill that you're going to go through the entire course with. Um, and then you kind of progress through the different phases of picking what materials you're going to use, um, the process of actually learning and then maintaining that. Um, but obviously the other very important, if not more important dimension of the course is that by doing that, you, you develop an awareness of how you learn. And there are various touch points in the course, which are encouraging you to reflect on what you're doing and thinking about how you can improve it. So if you started off, say, wanting to learn basic Spanish, conversational Spanish, so that you could say, speak to a native Spanish speaker for 30 minutes without having to drop into English, um, you not only have the ability to do that at the end of the course, but you also have the ability to apply what you've learned about your learning process to other skills. I think that's fantastic that you do, you root it in a particular skill uh, or knowledge. And, um, and I'm thinking as I'm listening to you, uh, I'm, I'm going to make a pitch to our listeners because many of them, uh, most of them are, are, are serving a base of learners basically around a particular skill or knowledge area. 
and and I can see, and I'll say you did not you did not put me up to this, Nasos. This is my own idea, but I'm I'm going to promote <laughs> I'm going to promote your course here to say that uh, these organizations, these learning businesses, should really be licensing make me a meta learner and promoting it out to their learner base because it's going to help them uh, create uh, better learners who are going to be more engaged with what they are teaching, uh, and it's going to ultimately make sure that they have a, a higher impact because the learners are going to be better prepared. So I think there's there's fertile territory uh, there for that, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, humbly propose that to listeners as something to consider. Um, what, one other question I'll, I'll ask you about the uh, the course before we uh, start running out of time here is, uh, you know, you went through the process, you created it. Uh, I'm sure you've gotten feedback at this point. You kind of know how it's going. Um, if there are one or two things that you would make sure you, you don't do, um, the next mm. time you create a course, uh, what, what would those be? Mm. So what would I not do next time I create it? I would, so I had the structure in my head for make me a meta learner, um, really a couple of years before I actually produced it. Now I think that, um, in part, it was good that I waited because the kind of uh, level of expertise that I developed over the course of those two years and all the conversations that I've had with people like yourself who are thought leaders in their spaces um, really, really did help me to kind of get a better grasp of what I was actually talking about. I also had two more years of experience of teaching and learning myself, which was extremely valuable. Um, but I think I could have put together a first draft quicker um, mm. because I did have people who were interested in what I was doing. And the key here is in the pitch. So if I'd gone into it and said, look, this is something that I'm working on to solve a problem for myself. Would you guys be interested in checking it out and going through it and giving me some feedback? Um, there might have been a way to be a little bit um, leaner and quicker and nimble at the start. Now, having said that, I think it's really, really important to believe in what you're putting out there. And this is an experience that I had because I actually recorded my course first time round in April of last year. Um, and I went back through it and I looked at it and I just wasn't happy with it. Like it wasn't, it just wasn't right. Something was missing. Mm. So I kind of went back to the drawing board um, and it turned out what was missing was sort of a system, an organization. So the current kind of system that I have set up in five chapters, I think really takes people through the process in a way that they can understand. Um, so yeah, I would say it's, so, it's kind of a complicated piece of advice, I guess I'm giving, because on the one hand I'm saying, you know, um, don't worry too much about it. But on the other hand, I'm saying, you know, worry enough about it to make sure that you're proud and happy to put your name behind it. Um, and I guess it really is finding that balance and seeing what works for you. Um, the other thing I would say, um, which, um, which I definitely will be doing for my next course and I'm already doing to make me a meta learner is don't think that making your course more complicated will make it better. Right. If anything, it will make it worse. Um, worse, not in the sense that it's not good quality, but in the sense that it's a worse experience for the user. Um, because all of the things that I know or any course designer knows about their field of knowledge do not be, do not need to be communicated to students. The student needs to know the things that are get, that are going to get them from A to B. Presumably there's a reason why they've decided to enroll in the course. Um, and so hopefully you can teach them that through the process of doing the course and give them little sort of snippets of awareness throughout the process. Um, ultimately, they'll then have the tools to go away and apply themselves afterwards. But I think there is certainly a temptation, there was on my part, to just put everything in and have this really, really comprehensive framework. And it's a long course. And that's why now I'm thinking, hmm, how can I make this a little bit simpler? 
how can I take this out and, you know, um, convey the same meaning or have the same effect without saying so many words? Um, so that's that's another thing I would say is, you know, complicated does not equal effective. That's uh, such a hard lesson to truly learn. I think uh, we, uh, you know, we, I, I've been told that I don't know how many times and, and I still struggle uh, with, with doing that whenever I'm putting together anything uh, that, that I'm trying to teach. So definitely worth repeating again and again and, and, and trying uh, to do. Now, one, one final question here, something that we ask all guests on the, the Leading Learning Podcast. And, and, and in this case, it just seems like a particularly appropriate and, and relevant question. And, um, and that is, could you tell us about one of the most powerful learning experiences that you personally have been involved in as an adult, you know, since you finished your formal education? Sure. So I'm going to cheat, Jeff, and Jeff, and I'm going to give you two, okay? Because okay. the 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 second piece is kind of a little bit of a cheat answer. But let me start with the first one. So after I uh, graduated from university, um, and as I was saying before, kind of decided that I didn't want to go into banking and finance. Um, one of the things that I, you know, had promised myself was that I was going to go and do a trip to Brazil. Um, now I wanted to go to Brazil for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I'd always kind of been fascinated by the culture and the music. Um, and two, uh, I'm a big, or I was then a bigger football and, or what you guys would call soccer fan. Mm. Um, and in 2014, it was the world cup. Right. Um, and so I kind of wanted to go and watch the Greek national team and see, you know, Brazil play and just be there for that kind of massive cultural melting pot of people from all over the world coming for a major sporting event. Um, and so I, um, in order to kind of make the experience as fun as possible for myself, um, and just because I also love the process of learning languages, I, I kind of learned Portuguese beforehand. Um, so I learned, um, by doing basically conversation classes with a friend of a friend, uh, here in London who was Brazilian, um, and then went out and traveled in Brazil for like two and a half, three months. Um, which was great because I was there before the World Cup, during and then afterwards as well. So I got to see the country when, you know, it was unspoiled, then during all the craziness and then after as well. Um, the reason why that was just such a profound experience for me, um, one, I traveled alone. Um, and so I um, was meeting new people all the time. Uh, I, um, because of the fact that I could kind of speak the language and I really picked up when I was there and left pretty much fluent. Um, I was able to just engage with like the, the locals, uh, in the cities that I went to, um, in a way that was just on, on, on just such a deeper level than I would have been able to otherwise. Um, and I learned an awful lot about myself in that process of kind of traveling and speaking to people and just kind of looking back at my life in London from a very different perspective and having the time and space to do that without, having to go, you know, rush back to a job or, you know, worry about some sort of, you know, business that I already had there. And I realized that's not possible for everyone at all times. But that kind of combination of uh, uh, of the situation and the experiences that I had just made it uh, an incredibly profound learning experience for me personally. Um, and then the second answer, the cheat answer, is kind of what we referred to a lot over the course of this conversation, which is MetaLearn. You know, mm. I started MetaLearn. Um, shortly after I came back from Brazil to start documenting my thoughts on, on, on teaching and learning. Um, it started off just as a simple blog. I remember it like it was yesterday, the first article that I wrote um, on like that, that simple WordPress site that I had set up. Um, and over the course of the project, you know, which has now developed into a blog, podcast, videos, the course, and everything like that, 
you know, I've learned skills that I could never have dreamt um, I would be able to kind of learn as fast. And it's just purely from doing it, you know, interviewing, branding, presenting, you know, selling, writing, like all of these things um, have come as a result of MetaLearn. And so, you know, that has been a truly profound learning experience as well. Well, one of the things I really appreciate about you is that you you walk the walk. Uh, so I love it you know, that you went to Brazil and, and you learned Portuguese uh, before going to Brazil. And I'm sure learned it a lot better um, once you were there. Um, <laughs> so fantastic. Well, just to wrap up here, um, for, for listeners here at Leading Learning, how can they find you? How can they find out about the, the, the course, the, the, the podcast, and, and, and in, in general, connect with you? Sure. So they can go to the homepage of my site, metalearn.net. That's M-E-T-A learn.net. Um, and they can, if they want to find out more about the course, click on the courses tab. There's a podcast tab for all the podcast episodes. Um, if they want to follow me on Twitter, uh, my handle is naspap3. That's N-A-S-P-A-P-3. Um, and yeah, you can find me, I'm sure, in plenty of other places around the, uh, around the internet as well. <laughs> Well, Nasos, thanks so much for joining us on the Leading Learning Podcast. Jeff, thanks so much for having me on. It was a real pleasure chatting to you. That wraps up our interview with Nasos Papadopoulos. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 122. This includes a link to get to those MetaLearn videos that we mentioned at the outset that we highlighted as the resource for this episode. And while you're there at the show notes, you'll also see the various options that we have for subscribing to the podcast. And if you are getting value out of what you hear and haven't subscribed yet, we'd be truly grateful if you would choose one of those options and subscribe today. We'd also be grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. You can do that by going to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really appreciate the ratings and the reviews, and it also helps others to find the podcast. And we'd be grateful if you'd take a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Blue Sky eLearn. We really do put a lot of work into producing and delivering leading learning. And one of the key reasons we're able to do that is because of the support of sponsors like Blue Sky. So please visit them at blueskyelearn.com. And if you happen to end up talking with them, be sure to tell them that you heard about them on the Leading Learning Podcast. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can pick another social network of your preference and spread the good word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.